All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning Digital Cathedral. Hope you had a wonderful week and uh, hope your area of the country is cooler than it is here in Houston, Texas. We, we are in the middle of summer. We've been hitting triple digits and high humidity every day. And so it's, uh, it's good to be in the air conditioning. Hope, hope where you're at is a pleasant time this summer. If you've been following along, we're working our way through the book of Colossians right now. And this is our third week, and we're going to finish up on chapter one. We've discovered some, some tremendous truths in this first chapter of the book of Colossians. And like all of Paul's writings, you almost think, man, I could just, I could sit right here for a long time and try to extract and pull truth out of what Paul was writing either to the church at Galatia or Ephesus, uh, Philippi, and here at Colossae. So we're, we're working our way through chapter one. And I want to work today with verses 19 through 29, 19 through 29. One of the things, one of the, the fantastic things about Paul's writings, if you follow him through everything that he does, is you'll see his, his continual working with people to make them feel extremely secure in their position. Um, and he makes no bones about it. The, the position that we enjoy is sonship and daughterhood. We're siblings of God. There's no question about it. He designed it. We read in Ephesians before the foundation of the world and instituted it. He predestined us to be uh, adopted as sons into the family. And that word adopted is not a word that is uh, makes us less than uh, full sons or less than natural born sons. It's just a, a term that we would, if we were to spend some time studying in Greek culture, we would find that it actually sets us in a position that is even stronger than that of a natural son. So Paul, Paul is very careful and uh, works diligently at making us, and I want to work diligently at the Digital Cathedral to make you always feel secure in your position. You are a son, you're a daughter of God, and that's, that's a done deal. There's no debate. There's no give and take on that. That is your absolute position. The other thing that Paul really likes to hit on in his writings is um, to make sure that we also feel that we are right in the very center of the will of the Father, that we are in the center of the cosmos design, right where we're living today. You're not living where you're living by mistake, <clears throat> the steps of a righteous man. You're a righteous person. You have the righteousness of Christ. Steps of a righteous man are ordered to the Lord. All of the days of your life before you were even born, he numbered them and he knew how they would flow and he knew he pre-programmed you to arrive at the destination that he wants you to arrive at. Now, we've not emphasized that in the church and I think it's been to the detriment of the body of Christ. I often contemplate the idea of what, what if we would take the next 1,500 years and we would major on the Father's acceptance? What if we would take the next 1,500 years and major on the inclusive nature of the Father and what the gospel is really about in accepting us just like we are without change? Um, I, I, I've often wondered what would happen if we would major on the Father's commitment to all of his creation to single-handedly complete what he started without us interfering, without our pump, push, or pull, without decisions, without faith, without believing that the Father is going to accomplish what he designed in our life to accomplish. And that's true for all of creation. Now, does that mean it's not important to believe or to have faith or to trust? Of course it is. 
Of course, it's extremely important. That's how we live out. That's how we demonstrate. That's how we manifest what we already possess. So that, that full display of the goodness of God, if we could take that and we could bring it into our culture for 1,500 years, I think even one generation, you're the generation that can do this. If we could bring to the forefront the Father's goodness and the true fatherhood of God, I think it would lead humanity to an unbelievable change of mind about who God is. <clears throat> and I think the, the, the picture of the Father would totally change in the minds of people that have that have totally seen him in, in the wrong light. I think, it's, I think it's Romans chapter two, verse four, that says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, metanoia, change of mind. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. The church has worked hard almost in reversing of that, thinking that it is the condemnation, the fear, uh, the guilt, the judgment of God that will lead people to change, but that does not bring lasting change. I can tell you from experience years and years as a pastor, that people that have uh, conjured up a fear of God, a dread, they're not sure how God uh, looks at them, not secure in their position as Paul continually writes about. And he's, he's very meticulous about securing our position and the fact that we're right where we need to be in life. The church has not done that. The church has gone the other way. Uh, I gotta be frank with you. The Father has been the recipient of a lot of fake news, a lot of fake news. Jesus came to clear up the fake news. He came to give the Father the good press reviews that he needed that he didn't have in most cases throughout the Old Testament. The Father only knows two things. He knows love and he knows inclusion. He doesn't exclude anybody. There's no insiders, outsiders. There's no haves, haves, nots. The Father has included all of us in his design. And we're gonna see that this morning in the verses in Colossians from verses 19 through 29. Some powerful stuff here, some good stuff here. Don't, don't turn me off, don't click out. Stay with me till the very end this morning. I think you're gonna discover some, some really good things. <clears throat> We're gonna see this, this full on, no holds barred, uh, unrestrained love and devotion that the Father has to all creation. And the important part is that he gives us that love and devotion, that sense of inclusion and acceptance and we don't have to respond. It's irregardless of response. Now again, is responding important? Yes, responding is important. It does something for our psyche. It does something for our internal makeup, but it has nothing to do with the Father's plan or acceptance of us. His love runs on a one-way street from him to us. Is there anything you can do to barricade that street? There's anything you can do to divert that street. There's no exits off the street. It's a one-way love and acceptance of the Father. That's what part of being a joint heir with Jesus is. A joint heir with Jesus means that everything that the Father says and thinks about Jesus, he says and thinks about you. Think about that, think about that. I know we all get low sometimes. We get to feeling like, man, I messed up, I fouled up, I don't know, you know, this is, this is not working out the way that I, I hoped or I designed. And I wonder what the Father really thinks of me. Let me tell you what the Father thinks of you. He thinks of you and sees you exactly like he thinks and sees Jesus. Absolutely no difference. So if you wonder what the Father's mind is about you, his mind is made up about you in the way that he sees Jesus. So if you think he sees Jesus in a good light, let me tell you, he sees you in a good light. No lesser light does he see you in than Jesus. No disparity among the sons. All right, let's get over to this, this uh, first 
first chapter of Colossians. Let me pick this up in verse 19. And I think we're going to see this morning some things about uh, Jesus, some things about the Christ that are true about us uh, that I really want to highlight. And I I want them to really settle down in your spirit. We're going to look a little bit also at John 17, the prayer that Jesus prayed for us. But let's get started with Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. And it says this, For it pleased the Father that in the Christ all the fullness should dwell. It pleased, it pleased the Father that in Jesus the Christ, it just, in the scripture it says him, capital H, speaking about Jesus, it pleased the Father that in him all the dwellness should full. That's a powerful statement. What, what Paul is getting across here is the fact that when the Father sent the Son into the world, he sent him fully loaded. <clears throat> the Son was lacking nothing. Uh, all fullness, all fully equipped, all the fullness, it pleased the Father that in Jesus all fullness should dwell. All the fullness in just this one. And so when Jesus looks at us, he makes sure that when he sends us into the world, he sends us fully loaded as well. If Jesus came fully loaded, then you can rest assured the Father's going to send you. And our double-barreled shotgun, our, our, our fullness is... Uh, authority and power. That's the two barrels of the gun. <clears throat> Greek word for authority is the word uh, exousia, and it means it means total authority. The word power is the word dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that. It's, it's that explosive power, that miracle power, that thing, that power that makes things pop and happen, where authority is more of the dominion. It's more, more having charge over. So when he sends you in, he sends, Jesus had authority uh, and Jesus recognized it. He said, in, just before he ascended, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I want you to go, therefore, I'm giving you the authority. I want you to be assured that the authority that has been vested in me is vested in you. So when he sends Jesus in, he says, it, it pleases me to put all fullness within Jesus. Now, I want to read some things from the prayer that Jesus prayed over in John 17 that concerns you. Now, don't lose your place in Colossians 1 because we're going to come back there. But this, this prayer that Jesus prayed, I mean, it's a, it's a, it, it is a unbelievable prayer. I, I don't think Jesus prayed just to, just to uh, pass the time. I don't think Jesus prayed just to hear himself speak. I believe with all my heart that those things that Jesus prayed have either come to pass or will come to pass. And for the most part, they've already come to pass. But there's some things in this prayer that I think should... Um, should again bring that security that we are a sibling of God, son, daughter. And as we live our life out, we're manifesting the things that he prayed in this prayer. So remember, I just told you that when he sent Jesus, he sent him fully prepared. And I wanna, I wanna show you the prayer that Jesus prayed. This is a prayer for you. He said, I'm not praying this just for the disciples. I'm praying it for everyone who believes on me through their word, which is all of us. All of us came to know Christ through the work of the Spirit, and the words that the uh, that the apostles and Paul included spoke to us. So let's look a little bit at what this prayer is that Jesus prayed. Let me pick it up in verse 22. John chapter 17 and verse 22. Jesus prays this. He says, In the glory which you gave me, Father, I have given them. The glory that you have given me, I've given them. Now what is that word glory? What does that really mean? Word glory actually, uh, bottom line, means manifested presence of God. Jesus says, the glory, the manifested presence of God that you gave me the ability 
to bring to the surface for all men to see. You allowed me to perfectly reflect you. You allowed me to give a perfect presentation to the world of who you are. He said that same glory, that same ability, that same manifested presence in my life, he said, I'm giving to you. I'm giving to you. Now let's, let's read on. Let's read on. Verse 23. He said, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That you have loved them as you have loved me. Now, just two verses into the prayer. And look, look what Jesus prays. Two things. He prays that, that the glory that he has, that the, the ability to manifest, to show the Father, to reflect the Father, that that is also ours, the same that Jesus had. Then he says, I want them also to know in verse 23 uh, that as you have, have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So the same love, same love that the Father had for Jesus Jesus says, the Father has for us. So I want, I want you to let these two verses sink in for just a minute. Just let these two verses sink in. Let me just stop for a second. I want you to measure the, the depth of those two verses in your life. And one thing I love about doing the digital cathedral the way that I do it is that I feel that I'm speaking straight to you. I don't feel like, you know, I don't have this big audience out in front of me. It's you and me, right? I'm speaking, I'm speaking to your life this morning. And I want you to understand that the glory that Jesus fulfilled, that he had in his life, and the love that the Father had for him, also has for you. Absolutely no difference. Absolutely no difference. The same amount, same equation, same, same measuring cup. Now, I'll tell you, as old as I am, and the thousands of hours that I have studied, thousands of hours that I have studied, when I, read, when I read those verses from John chapter 17, they still make my spirit jump. I have to be honest with you. When I, feel, when I understand that the same measure that he measured to Jesus, he's measured to Don Keithley. He's measured, and I could name a, a lot of you that are watching this morning because I know that you're with me every week, but it's the same measure for you. Absolutely no difference. Now he goes on in verse 24, and it even gets richer. It even gets stronger. It gets better. Verse 24, he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory that you have given me, for you loved them. Oh man, get this. For you loved them before the foundation of the world. He had a love for you before you ever took flesh form. I've taught you before that you existed before you manifested on the earth in flesh. Jesus existed as the Christ before he ever took on flesh form. You have always been with the Father. You have always been spirit. You have always been united with the Father. He has always looked on you with favor. He loved you with a love. Fathom it before the foundation of the world. Now, you can't remember before you were born. But that doesn't mean you didn't exist just because you can't remember it. I've, had, I've, I've, I've spent time meditating, pondering that, that I existed in spirit form before I ever came and took on Don Keithley. I still existed, and the Father looked at me with great favor. Now, let, let's, let's back that up just a little bit. Let me back it up in John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying. 
He says in verse 13, but now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak to the world, I speak to the world, I speak to the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. <clears throat> so Jesus, again, he's, he, he's, he gives us his glory, the manifested presence of God. He says that the Father loves you with the same love that he loves him. And now he backs it up and he says in verse 13, he said, I pray that my joy would be their joy also. Now listen closely. Joy there is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not something, he's not saying I'm gonna give you my feeling. The word, the word joy there is the word kara. It's the word kara and it means source. It's the source of joy. He's saying I'm, I, I am giving to you the source of joy that I am tapped into. Now, I read that verse for a long time before I really studied it out, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm, Jesus is giving me a portion of his joy. And I, well, we're gonna, we're gonna have the same joy, but he's actually saying here, it's a joy that has no end because the source from the Father has no end in imparting the joy to you. Has no end, no matter how tough things get. And some of you are facing some tough circumstances right now, I know that. I know that. You're facing difficult times. That, that doesn't make your joy evaporate. A joy, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from fellowshipping the Father. It comes through spending time with Him. It comes through meditating on things that are good, pure, perfect, lovely, and of a good report. It comes as you begin to walk in a dimension of the kingdom, a dimension of spirit that's not natural. That's not natural any longer. You are a supernatural person that is endued with a supernatural joy. Jesus said this, this is how deep the joy is. Jesus said, for the joy that is set before me, I was able to endure the cross. Wow, for the joy. This is how powerful the joy is that you possess because he prayed in verse 13, you'd have the same joy. Whatever you face, the power of joy will carry you through. You have tapped into the inexhaustible source of joy, which is his daddy, which is our daddy. He's our Abba Father. All right, let's look at verse 15. All this comes back to the fullness that we read in verse 19 that is in Jesus. Jesus is expressing that the same fullness, and I'm just coming back to you know, be legal and prove it to you, through the things that Jesus prayed for us, through what he imparted to us. Let me come back to verse 15. He said, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, he said, I pray that you'd keep them from the evil that is in the world. So Jesus isn't praying we get raptured out. <clears throat> everything that's going on in the world right now, the, the coronavirus, the rioting, everything that's going on in America, and most of you that are at the Digital Cathedral are from the States, a lot from other countries too, Australia, England, so forth. But when we see everything going on in the world today, and there are riots taking part in other parts of the other places in the world as much as there are in the States, everybody's trying to tie these into end times and the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. Jesus never prayed that we would leave. He said, I pray that you would not take them out of the world, but that you would, that you would keep them safe from the evil that is in the world. So here's what you and I need to be doing. This is where we come in as salt and light. This, this is the greatest opportunity we have to manifest the kingdom right now in this total upheaval. Everything that can be shaken right now, whether it's politically, uh, religiously, emotionally, in the lives of people, people are emotional wrecks right now. They don't know which way to turn. This is our time. This is our opportunity to manifest and demonstrate what we have. 
So then he says in verse 18 of this prayer in John 17, he said, as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Okay, so that's, that's exactly what I was telling you at the start of the teaching this morning, that when he says uh, uh, that it pleased him that in Jesus all fullness should dwell, what, he, what Paul was conveying there is that when Jesus came, he was short of nothing. He had no shortage of anything. And so Jesus says now in that 18th verse, this is so, so important that you get, he says, as you sent me, I send them. So I have to surmise from that, that every bit of fullness that Jesus enjoyed being imparted to him from the Father is the fullness that is being imparted to me as I walk into the world, because Jesus prayed it. He said, the same way you sent me, I'm sending them. All right, let's go back, let's go back to Colossians 1. We, we need to start, start getting through this because we've got a long way to go to get through this chapter. Verse 20, so he says, it pleased the Father, verse 19, that in him all the fullness should dwell, and, and, by Jesus to reconcile all things to himself. All things. If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, uh, underline the word all because he reconciled all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. So there's total reconciliation and total peace today. This, this is a carte blanche statement of what Jesus did for all of creation, for all time. Now we're gonna get into some things that you never heard in the church before. I don't know why, I, I didn't teach it for 35 years as a pastor, because I didn't see through these lens that I'm teaching you. He says in verse 20, think, think about this, verse 20, and as I go through this, I want you to recognize, isn't anything you did, you did to make this come about? This is that one-way street I talked to you about of his love that flows to man, his grace, his love, his mercy, his long-suffering, everything. He says in verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether the things are on earth or in heaven, he's made peace, he has brought reconciliation. Uh, notice verse 20, it says all things, very inclusive, very inclusive. So I I told you to start this morning that Paul uh, takes a lot of care in making sure that you feel very secure. So when he, when he says that he reconciled all things, that's a, that's a word of security to you. You're, there, what, there's nothing that exists outside of all. So when he reconciled all things, he reconciled you. He reconciled people that don't know they've been reconciled. And that's, that's our job. That's, that's what evangelism is. Evangelism is not bringing people to a point of decision. It's not an invitation. The gospel is a proclamation. Salvation is a proclamation of what the Father through the Son and the Spirit has accomplished and already handed to us. We need to open our eyes. What our job is is to open the eyes of people. Paul prayed that I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of the calling that you have in Christ. He didn't say pray the prayer, didn't say sign the card, walk down the aisle. He said, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. Very inclusive here, very inclusive. <clears throat> Let me back up a little bit in Colossians to uh, verse 16. We covered this last week, but this is how, how powerful this is. Verse 16, it says, for by him all things were created, that are on heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created 
through him and for him. Everything was created for him. Then he says in verse 17, this is what I wanted you to really nail down. And he is before all things and in him, <laughs> oh boy, in him all things consist. You cannot be outside of Christ. I don't care what you've done or who you are or what your mindset is. You cannot be outside of Christ. In him, all things consist. Do, do people know that? No, they don't. No, they don't. That's why I come here every Sunday. That's why I do the Wednesday Night Live. I want people to know. I want them to be fully aware. Now watch, here's, here's what stops us from, from being aware. This, the next verse, verse 21. All right, so verse 20, we've established. He's reconciled all things to himself. No, no, uh, no, nothing outside of that. You cannot exist outside of Christ. We just read that in verse 17, the same chapter. He's reconciled everything, whether it's heaven, earth, doesn't matter. It's all been brought. He, he did it through the blood. It's all, it's all taken care of. Now watch, here's what happens, verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your minds. That's the only place you were ever an enemy of God is in your mind. You could not be in your spirit because he never lost that spirit connection with you. He was never not reconciled to you. Notice it says that he reconciled all things to himself. He had already been reconciled to all things. He, throughout eternity, he never lost reconciliation of himself to all things. He never lost, the, 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 in everything, everything in him consists. He is the glue that holds it all together. But you had a problem in your head. People got a problem in their minds. They feel alienated, it says in verse 21. They feel alienated and enemies in their mind because of what they've done, wicked works. Those things have thrown blockades up, and the church has fanned the, fanned the flame on that. Churches told you how sinful, how, how terrible you are, that you were born uh, depraved, you were born with an endemic nature. Those are all lies. Those are all lies. Not true. You were born righteous. You were born the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We've, we've bought a pack of lies, so, so many. And, I, and I'm, the rest of the years that I've got on this earth, I'm gonna tell you what, I'm gonna dismantle every cotton-picking one of them that's why I wrote the book, Hell's Illusion. That is the biggest lie that has been used to bring fear and doubt and intimidation to, the, to people. And it needs to be brought to light. We need to shine the light on some of these things. So people are alienated in their mind because of what they've done. The church has reinforced it, told them how bad they were. Uh, uh, that nearness, that bringing together is truth. He's reconciled us. Verse 20, that's truth. That bringing together is, is the truth. And the fact that we're blind to it or that we don't feel it doesn't change the truth. Truth always trumps facts. See, the fact is you may, you may not feel well this morning. That might be a fact. Maybe the doctor told you you got something. That's a fact, medical fact. But the truth is you were healed by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The truth is you're healed. See, Facts never dis dispel truth. Truth always overrides, always trumps facts. The fact is many aren't experiencing the fruit of that, re of that reconciliation. I'll, I'll guarantee you that our culture, our society is not walking in the fruit of that reconciliation. But the truth is all have been reconciled. What exactly does that mean reconciled? What, what, what could we really define that as? To be reconciled means to make your view compatible with another's view. 
Now, in this case, he said that he had reconciled all things to himself. So when he reconciled us to himself, what he's doing is he's changing our, our view. He's changing the way we see things to be compatible with his view. In other words, he says, I want you to see through my eyes. I want you to see you like I see you. I don't see you after the flesh. Paul said, we don't know any man after the flesh. If the church would stop seeing people after the flesh and begin to see them as the Father sees them, it would change lives. And that's what reconciliation does. The manifested siblings of God are awakening multitudes to the truth that their authentic view is, is compatible with the Father's view that you can see like the Father sees. You can see you. Man, when you see you like he sees you, you're going to be free, shedding everything that is alienated and tried to, to make us feel separated in our minds. All right, let's go on to verse 22, because this verse is never taught in church. I'll, I'll assure you that. Verse 22. So verse 19, in Jesus dwells in fullness. He exercises that fullness. Verse 20, reconciling everything to himself. He, he's eliminating this sense of separation that has come in our minds because of the way we've acted. That's a fact, but it doesn't negate the truth that you're reconciled. And then he goes on and says this. And yet now he is reconciled, verse 2, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's a verse that's never taught, and I'll tell you why it's never taught, because it takes you totally out of the formula. It says he'll present you blameless and without fault. He'll present you perfect, watch, in his sight. I just told you that reconciliation, when you're reconciled, it means that you begin to see through the eyes of, of, of the Father, when you, you begin to see. So if he sees you, oh boy, I like this. If he sees you, verse 22, let me just get it straight. If he sees you holy and blameless above reproach, if that's how he sees you, guess how you should see you? You're reconciled. You need to make your view compatible and you need to make your view uh, coincide with the Father's view. He reconciled all of us, verse 20. He eliminated our head trip, verse, verse 21. And now he goes further. He says he's going to present us holy and blameless. I'll tell you what, that takes, that took some adjustment in my religious thinking. When I was coming out of all of the, the garbage that had been packed on me for years and years and years, when I would read a verse like that, it took me a long time to get to the bottom of the verse to where I could believe that I could see me holy and blameless because that's how he sees me. But I've been reconciled. I didn't reconcile me to him. He did it. I didn't eliminate the separation in my mind. He did it, right? I didn't present myself holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. He did it. This is good news. See, religion will go one of two ways, sometimes both, but religion will take you one of two ways. Way number one is this. They will say, you need to clean yourself up. You need to quit the drinking, the smoking, the crowsing, going to bars, being promiscuous. You need to cut all that out and clean yourself up, and then God will receive you because God can't look at sin. So as long as you're in sin, God can't, can't, uh, can't be in relationship with you. So you need to come out of sin. Right? The, second way, the second way that religion will handle this is this. Yes, God will take you just like you are. He sure will. But he's, he's going 
he's going to look at you and expect you now to get rid of all the junk. You got to do it. You got to quit smoking, drinking, carousing, running around, chasing women, chasing men, whatever your deal is. You got to quit that. And if you don't, if you don't, then you're no longer reconciled. He puts you out of the family. All right. So religion goes one of two ways. You either earn it to get it, right, by cleaning your act up and then coming to him, or to keep it, you have to earn it. Yeah, you get it by grace, but you keep it by works. Now, come on, tell me what church you, you went to that didn't, that didn't bring it to you one of two ways. And yet we're reading clearly right here out of Colossians that Paul never put those stipulations on it. He just makes the proclamation. That's why I told you the gospel is not an invitation. It's a proclamation. It's a proclamation of what Paul proclaimed, that, that in him we have been reconciled. We have been reconciled. In him he will present us holy and blameless without above reproach. That's his work. That's not my work. So either road that religion takes, what religion does, it puts the work on your back to make sure that you get the job done, right? And in doing that, we totally dim diminish what Paul is telling us in, in his writings. This is what bugs me so much. There's no such stipulation in verses 20, 21, or 22. It's a work of grace. It's, it's, it's a gift of that one-way street of love. It's a, it's a mercy that outweighs the judgments of religion, and religion has been so judgmental. Uh, James doesn't get it all right, the writings of James. James writes to Jews. He starts out the book of James. James, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. That's, he's writing to Jewish tribes. But he does make an outstanding statement in, in James chapter 2, verse 13, when he says that, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Our Father has mercy that endures forever. He has mercy that's new every morning. Do you think any judgment that can come against you from religion or, or your mind because of what you've done, do you think in any way, shape, or form that that could neutralize the mercy of God? All right. Now, verse 23 is, is used by religion as the yes, but verse. All right. It's all good. Reconcile this. No, no separation, verse 21. Verse 22 presents us faultless and blameless. Yes, but. Now here's the yes, but verse that religion brings in, verse 23. Verse 23, Colossians chapter 1. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, Religion pulls that verse out. It says, see there, you got to remain grounded, steadfast. You've got to hold tight. You've got to do what you got to do. You better be good or it's not going to work for you. That's not what Paul's saying. That's the yes, but verse. Let me give you a tip what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying in verse 23, if you don't want your mind to go back condemning you and making you feel alienated, if you don't want guilt trips, if you want to, if you, if, uh, you want to stop packing your bags for that guilt trip, he said, I'm going to tell you how to do it. He said, the way that you can begin to understand and acclimate this into your life is to do what he said in verse 23, right? He said, remain grounded and steadfast and don't move away from the hope that I'm telling you. 
That's what Paul is saying. He said, once you're into this, you need to hook right into it and stay with it. Verse 21, the separation is in the mind. The truth, and the truth is this. Here's the, here's the problem. My gosh, here's the problem. In that condition, well, this is the solution. Let me tell you the problem in a minute. The truth is in that condition, you're still reconciled. If you feel alienated in your mind, you're still reconciled. That's not the problem. That's, that's the solution. Now, if you want to enjoy your reconciliation, if you want to enjoy the walk, then verse 23 comes into play, right? We remain steadfast, we remain grounded, hold on to the hope. Now, re re religion wants to make it about heaven and hell. That's why it's going to try to make you feel you have to do something. It, 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 religion wants to make it about the have and the have-nots, about those that have it, those that don't have it, who's in, who's out, who has it, who doesn't have it. What we've read so far is totally about, verse 20, the reconciliation of all things. I'm going to tell you the problem that we're going to have in just a minute with this. Verse 21, he eliminates the roadblocks in our minds that try to make us feel we're not reconciled. But the Father through the Son in the Spirit did this for us without our help. Now to make sure that we could not fail or follow up the truth with mind facts, what he fully did outweighs what we can do, plus or minus. What he did outweighs what we can do, negative, positive. You can't make it better for yourself, can't make it worse for yourself. It's all been supplied by him. Before I tell you what the problem is, let me just tell you this. When it comes to work in the spirit, you're totally out of the equation. You cannot save yourself. I don't care what prayer you pray. I don't care what card you sign. I don't care what aisle you walk. I don't care how hard and long you confess. You cannot save yourself. It's his work. And the one that started the good work at the cross will finish it in your life, not you. Now, if we would simply embrace it, then we will, verse 23, experientially live in its fullness. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We think we can still do it. That's the problem. We, we think we can still do it. We, we think within ourselves we have, you know, if we, we can muster up the, 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 the discipline, the might, the power. Uh, we, you know, we can follow without fault. We, we have this thing, and we go to church on Sunday, and it's reinforced. Behaviors reinforced. You can do I'm going to give you three steps to victory this morning. Four steps that if you'll follow this, you'll live above sin. I'm going to tell you six ways that you can pray fervently that God will answer your prayers. It's still, we still think we can do it. We still think we can do it. We've discovered we can't. And so all around the world, people are waking up to what's been going on inside of them. See, Paul discovered it when he said, I discovered the Christ that was in me. Galatians 1, 15, 16. He didn't say Jesus was revealed to me. He said what happened was I discovered the Christ that was in me, always been in me, never not been in me. So there's a mystery and we're waking up to it. Let me read it, verse 25, 26, and 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. He said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. So here's what Paul's saying. This is what I'm saying to you. I've been called to be a minister to you for your benefit. And what I am doing is revealing mysteries to you that have been hidden from generations. But now they're being revealed to the saints, not just me. 
Saints all around the world are beginning to discover things that we never knew before, that we didn't see before. We're looking at scripture through different lens. We've, we've taken on a whole different approach to the gospel about how good God is, and how inclusive he is, and what grace really means, and that unconditional love really has no conditions, including your acceptance or your prayer or whatever you thought you would throw in the hopper to make it all work. Doesn't include any of that. that we're waking up to a mystery. And that's what he says in verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and generations, but has been revealed to the saints. He said, that's why I have come to minister to you. That's why I'm here at the Digital Cathedral. I make no bones about it. I bring to the table everything that I see. And people all over the world are responding. When I wrote the book, Hell's Illusion, which is, you can get it at Amazon. It's selling like hotcakes. It really is, I'm shocked. I, I totally am shocked. But that's a, that's a truth that people are waking up to, of what a farce that is. To feel that a father of unconditional love, remember, unconditional, no condition, would put you in a fire to twist and burn in flames eternally with no, with no escape, no possible, just because you didn't love him back, just because you didn't pray the magic prayer, just because you didn't do it the right way. That's, that is such a slap in the face to the cross of Christ and what he fully accomplished. And it, it's, it's gotten past where I'm afraid to say it or even be irritated about it. I'm downright angry that people would think that of my father. That is such a misrepresentation of my father. You know, in a natural, when I was a boy, if you, if, if you said your dad could whip my dad, you know, the fight was on because my dad could whip your dad with, with one hand tied behind his back. I'm not going to let you talk about my father that way. I'm not going to let you talk to him like he's some eternal tormentor just waiting for you to foul up so he can slap you into a customized torture chamber. That's not my dad. That's not the father that Jesus fully represented. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you. There's some in the Old Testament that presented God in a light like that, but that's, that was not uh, full revelation. Je Jesus was the reflection. They wrote with all the revelation and understanding they had, but it was not perfect. The Bible is not inerrant. I'm sorry to destroy your fourth member of the Trinity. A lot of truth in the Bible. I read it all the time. I read it to you every week, but it is not inerrant. All right? So where was I? Oh, this mystery that's being revealed all over the world. Here it is in verse 27. To them, them saints that he's revealing the mystery to. He said, they are make, making known the riches of the glory of this ministry among Gentiles. Now, this is important. Gentiles is important. The Jews looked at Gentiles as the outsiders. The church would look at Gentiles as those guys down at the bar. The, the church would look at the Gentiles as those, you know, that, that aren't the in crowd down at the church on Sunday morning, that don't tune in every time the, the, the broadcast comes on, that aren't there every time the doors are open, you know, that haven't lived up to expectations of what the church would expect. That's Gentiles. The non-religious crowd, that's what Paul was saying. He said, there is something going on in the non-religious crowd that the saints are now seeing. And he lays it out in verse 27. He said, this mystery among the Gentiles, which the saints are now seeing, which is Christ in you Gentiles. Oh man, I can already hear religious devils beginning to squawk and holler on that one. That's what Paul was to minister to Gentiles. Not that you have to receive Jesus, 
but that you've already been reconciled and that the Christ dwells in you. And I'm telling you, I'm looking you right in the eye. All of my members of the Digital Cathedral, I'm telling you, Christ is in you. Christ is in your children. Christ is in your neighbor. Christ is in your Uncle Fred. Uh, Christ is in every person you're going to meet at the grocery store. That's the Christ in them. That's why you don't know a man after the flesh. You know them after the Christ that is in them. Now watch what he says in verse 28. This is all him, verse 28. He says that Christ is in, in the Gentiles. And it says, him, Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature, perfect in Christ. That's what the word perfect means. It means mature. So what's this all about? It's all bringing us into maturity. It's about bringing us into maturity. It's about opening eyes, awakening uh, the Gentiles, the guy down at the bar, the guy next door, never, you know, doesn't go to church, doesn't meet your religious qualifications, knowing that Christ is in him, opening his eyes to it, then helping him to mature so that we can present him as being a solid, uh, practicing, fully recognized, reconciled person with no alienation in his mind before Christ. Amen? Listen, we just looked at 11 verses, and I'll tell you, well, rock your world if you're not seeing with the eyes of reconciliation, seeing the same way the Father sees. It'll, it'll wreck your life. It'll really wreck you. It wrecked me for a long time. If you're not into what the Father is doing today, what we're talking about this morning is going to mess you all up. And a lot of you are going to say, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. It's because, you know why you don't believe it? Because every Sunday you go to church and you get some bias confirmation plugged into you. The same stuff you've heard every, every week, every year for the last 25 years. Same stuff. Same message. I can tell you what the message is as it comes out his mouth. You're not hearing any of the things I'm telling you. You know why? Because it takes somebody that is willing to be flip-flopped religiously into, the, into seeing the kingdom. We're manifesting the kingdom. We've just seen this morning how inclusive the Father is in laying hold of and drawing all of creation back to himself. He didn't have to draw himself to creation. He's already been now he, in, in creation's thinking, all of creation, everything, animals, planets, everything reconciled back to him. So Paul makes bold assertions. He makes some bold assertions in his first chapter of Colossians. He's made bold assertions all through our study. And the church, in an attempt to control and manipulate people, has dumbed those bold assertions down, never read them, never taught on them, of what God has fully done without me chiming in, having to agree or confess or have faith. He's done it. And again, that doesn't mean they're not important. They're important aspects, but they have nothing to do with the foundation. The church has dumbed it down to where now they have laid all that work on the backs of people. And the problem, as I said earlier, is within ourselves, we think we can do it because the church has told us we have to do it. If you don't do it, you're going to burn in hell forever. You better do it. You better do it or you're going to pay the price. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. So we're left perpetually trying and repeated failures. So why do people flock to the digital cathedral? Why do, why do I have more people on the digital cathedral than I ever had within a building? It's because of the message. 
It sure is not because of the background. I've kept it, I've kept it sterile on purpose because I want you to watch me. I want you to listen to what I tell you every week. I, I'm talking straight to you like we were at Starbucks having a cup of coffee. These verses tell us there are no failures. There's no failures. There's nobody that God has created that is a failure. That's not going to be fine. That's not going to make it. The Father takes full responsibility to bring us home. And you know what the scripture said? That he will present that 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 we will be presented faultless and blameless and above reproach in his sight. When he looks at you, he's gonna look at you and hug you and say, You are my beloved son and daughter whom I'm well pleased. I I sure enjoyed working as you on the planet. Welcome, welcome into my, my full presence. You know what? This has been a good chapter. This has been a powerful chapter. I want to talk a little bit more about it on Wednesday night. So if you haven't joined Don Keithley Ministry page on Facebook, go over, ask to join. It's a private page, place you can express your thoughts, your questions, your ideas without being hounded by, you know, trolls on Facebook. That's where I do Wednesday night because I, I say some things, do some things on Wednesday that I don't do on Sunday morning. We go a little bit deeper, take it a little bit farther, push the envelope just to touch more. So go over and do that. Thank you for being with me. Don't forget uh, my book. I don't have one right in front of me that I can show you, but Hell's Illusion. It's on Amazon. It's available either in Kindle or paperback. Pass a couple out to your friends. Put the heat on me. Tell them, look what this guy's talking about. What do you think? Start a conversation. Hell's Illusion on Amazon. Thank you for your love and support. I especially want to thank all of you that support me monthly. It really helps in what I'm doing. It takes uh, any pressure off me, heat that I'm thinking about uh, financially. Uh, and believe me, whether it's whatever the amount is, um, it comes in really useful. And we've got some great things in store in the days that are ahead. So God bless you. Appreciate all of you, all of you. Thank you for being with me. Invite somebody next week to the Digital Cathedral. Invite somebody over to your house. Have, have a cup of coffee. You know, get them a donut and watch the Digital Cathedral. We'll go into, into Colossians chapter two next week. Have a wonderful week. God bless. We love you. Never forget that. We are a, are a, are a church from around the world that have gathered together to hear truth. We'll see you next time.